Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Welcome to Is Your Workplace Ready for Gen Z webinar in collaboration with ISS. My name is Fitzgerald Webb, the Strategic Content and Marketing Project Manager with Cornet Global, and I'm your host for this webinar. Gen Z will soon be the largest workforce cohort in the labor market. Are you ready? As the landscape of the modern workforce continues to evolve, it's imperative for organizations to proactively adapt to the imminent shift brought about by the rise of Generation Z, commonly recognized as the I generation, Gen Zers, Centennials, or Post-Millennials. This cohort holds unique characteristics that set them apart as the first generation to seamlessly navigate the complexities of the post-pandemic professional realm. Getting in insights into their behavior and their distinct needs that they have in the workplace will pave the way for enhancing integration of the new employer and joint accomplishments. This webinar will highlight actionable insights and concrete examples of key Gen Z priorities and provide participants with a deeper understanding of this cohort's expectations of employers and the role of the workplace. It will also provide tools to effectively prepare workplaces for Gen Z and future-proof for the next-gen talent pipeline. Before we begin, I'd like to go over some housekeeping items. Please note that your lines have been placed on mute. Please keep your video off during the webinar to reserve bandwidth. We will begin taking questions at the end, and you can use the chat function to ask any questions you might have. Uh, and with that, I'd like to uh, introduce our speaker, Bianca Hermanson, with a master's degree in architecture and a PhD in social science. Bianca takes a scientific approach to everything she does and emphasizes having the right data to create truly tailored workplace solutions. Bianca, as the head of workplace experience design at ISS Signal, could you please begin by talking a bit about the company, your background, and what you do in your current role? Yeah, sure. Thanks for that intro, Fitz. So I think one of the, the things that are really interesting here is the fact that Signal, being this small boutique brand within the giant company of ISS, is that we're being allowed to stay research-focused and data-driven. So we are workplace advisors. We have our analytics department, our design, which is interior design, and then our advisory bit, right? I think what sets us apart is that we have these 20 years plus of the workplace insights. So we have a great uh, database of a lot of different stuff, like literally anything you can imagine. Like, is that measurable? Oh, yes, it is. And we probably have measured it, right? You can say we're small, little research unit, with an expert and advisory unit within a super large company, ISS, the world's fourth biggest employer, right? I have a lot of colleagues worldwide. Like, <laughs> I think we're only topped by, you know, the, the U.S. Army and the Chinese Army and, you know, organizations like that. So it also provides us with an opportunity to really get market insights from a lot of different customers, a lot of different clients around the world, right? Which does provide some perspective so that we're making sure we're not looking at things from a very sort of, yeah, funnel uh, perspective. That's Amazing. Us. Yeah. The webinar focuses on rethinking the workplace to meet the needs of Gen Z. Why is this discussion crucial for companies right now? Can you elaborate on the rapid evolution of the workforce transition on a global scale? Yeah, so I love this graph. I think it says it says everything that needs to be said about what's happening right now. I do want to elaborate on a couple of things. So as you can see, Jen said right now is one of the minority um, 
groups or minority populations in the in the global workforce rapidly moving into becoming one of the majority uh, populations in the workforce. You will also notice how our baby boomers, who are currently our main decision makers still, when we look at top management, executive management, and so on and so forth, will be exiting the workforce. So what we're talking about is we have entry populations and exit populations. And the entry populations are the gen sets. My generation X, we will stay. We're like a stable component. You know, we're like bread or rice or something. We're going to stay, right? But what is interesting, one little tiny detail from a social science perspective is that we see that millennials tend to, you can say, navigate the workplace according to which of the other groups that are the dominant groups. Meaning that if millennials are with majority Gen X and baby boomers, they will maybe tone down their expectations to how sustainable something is a little bit or they will allow for a little bit more of microaggressions and whatnot. Whereas if they're in the company of Gen Z, they will be as radical as Jen said in terms of, no, this doesn't work. Yes, this needs to, this works, right? So what we're going to see within the very few years is a shift where the majority of the global workforce are going to have different expectations to what it means to come to work and what a proper workplace is than we see today. Victor here. And to ensure we have a common foundation, could you please provide an overview of how Gen Z is different from previous generations? Like, for instance, what are the primary drivers of Gen Z that employers need to consider when re-examining their workplace? Yeah, sure. So I have uh, I have a few of these drivers that I want to go through. They are equally important, I will say. So it's not like a prioritized list. They're equally important. There are very few variations region to region. One of the things that really characterizes Gen Z is that it is the most culturally uniform generation the world has seen so far. Some argue this is because they are largely raised by the internet, right? But it also means that what we're dealing with is a super diverse generation compared to the other generations, but as a generation, very uniform. So what works for Gen Zs in the U.S. will probably also work for Gen Zs to a very large extent in uh, in APAC. So let's go through them and just stay with me. There's a lot of information, but it's really good information. <laughs> okay. The first of our drivers is that above all, work is digital. It's important to remember that Gen Z entered the workforce post-pandemic, right? meaning that for them, work is digital because everything else is digital. They are digital natives and they're proud of it. And what this means is that we, yes, we have the first post smart technology generation, but also that because everything is accessible, then somehow everything becomes possible. And this for some employers, is going to be a challenge, right? Because if you have this mindset that everything is possible, you won't take no for an answer often. But you will also make great demands when it then comes to the software and the hardware that you have available at the workplace, right? Gen sets expect everything to be available at the click of a button. In fact, if you need to click more than three times or 
even six times, then you lose people completely. Three times you lose about half of your users. So everything you need needs to be accessible within three clicks. Um, I don't think a lot of employee or employer um, internal, whatever software or infrastructure you're using can actually provide that, right? So there's a lot that needs to be uh, to be looked at because the point is what we consider state-of-the-art tech, which is for, you know, for instance, my generation, yay, exciting, great. We get all like, yes, pumped up if the, if the um, hybrid working uh, meeting rooms actually work. For a genset person, anything less than that state of art is considered substandard. And the next driver is community. Community is really important for genset. And I think a lot of people may misunderstand a little bit what community is. You know, we, we do have some leaders in the workforce who are in the workplace who are like, well, you know, I need all my people to like be in the office. Again, Jinset wants a hybrid model, but then when they are in the office, they need connection. They need human connection and they need to connect with their colleagues. So creating this strong sense of community is really key to job protection. Jinset are job hoppers. And so you want to try to do your best to retain them because otherwise, as we know, it's going to be very expensive. So retention-wise, community is everything. And community doesn't happen by itself. We need to invest in it, right? One of the examples I just want to bring out is, is um, how workplace hosts can have, a, can have a critical role if we allow them to become more than just administrative or like you know, floor host or workplace coordinators or whatnot, if we allow them to, if we give them the mandate to take that space and really become community managers, community hosts. This is one of our favorite uh, in ISS uh, community hosts, Ben. What characterized Ben's events is that he somehow magically always managed to have more people join his events than there were people on his floor, which means that people from elsewhere in the building would come to the floor to be part of Ben's events. Now that is a community host, right? Not someone who checks if there's paper in the printer. That's not what we're talking about here. So really acknowledging that community doesn't happen by itself. Leaders don't have time for it. We have distant leadership now, right? We have uh, long-distance remote leadership. PAs and EAs cannot do it. You need professionals to do this. Third driver is healthiest productive. More than anything, Jinset recognizes that staying healthy, both mentally and physically, is critical to your own productivity. And it's equally important that as an employer, you understand that you play a part in this and then you take that seriously, right? So if we look at food, for instance, nutrition is important, right? But for Jinset, food is a symbol of caring. It's caring about your body, your health. It's caring about the planet. And to a large extent, also cultural diversity. Jinsets prefer uh, global cuisines to local ones. They want to explore. They want to try new stuff. Uh, but most importantly, they want it to be good for you and good for the planet because it's that symbol of caring. I just want to read out loud this, uh, this quote from one of the interviews that we did with a Genset employee. To stay within the Paris Agreement, every person on this planet needs to reduce their meat consumption by 90%. So I did that. That's the attitude, right? And I think this is, this is critical. That is the attitude. If that's what it takes, 
then they'll do it. They're even willing to pay more for it if you have vegan or vegetarian options. Because unlike some of the previous generations, they don't just talk, they actually do something. And so what we are looking into is a food revolution in the workplace. Gen said employees want radically different food and beverage options. They want sustainably sourced, high-protein, plant-based global cuisines. That's it, right? Which also means that one thing is reducing your CO2 footprint, but another thing is Jen said actually wanting to see more of CO2 negative food sources, right? Such as mushrooms, seaweed, nuts, kelp, that kind of thing. So introducing all that stuff in your cuisine when you're trying to feed people at lunch, well, you better get going because I'm not sure a lot of our canteen chefs can do that at current point in time. We do have, there is another case I just want to bring out where we, um, where we tried, you know, we were like, let's try to nudge behavior. Let's try to enable more informed choices when it comes to food. Across countries, we saw about a 50% CO2 footprint reduction, but especially in Norway, we saw an 80% CO2 food footprint reduction. Now, can you imagine the scale of that? What if we could reduce our CO2 footprint when eating food at work by 80%? That's huge, right? So something is cooking and something is going to happen in this regard. Then it's also important to Take into consideration the fact that Gen Z are a stressed out generation. About half of them feel stressed out most of the time. About 90% has experienced at least one symptom of stress. So if you as an employer are like, yeah, you know, we got the Headspace app, that'll fix it. Yeah, no, it might take a little bit more than that, right? Because we are dealing with a generation that has a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on. One thing is work. It's not work and then nothing else. It's like one of the components in my life that may stress me out is work, right? So as an employer, you need to be ready to make sure that you have tools available that can help mitigate those symptoms of stress. One thing, though, that we found, which is interesting, is that the workstation really plays a huge part and I think sometimes we've had a tendency in the past uh, to talk about that the workstation is where you do full focus work and then collaborative spaces is where you collaborate. Well, actually what we find is 50% of the time spent at a workstation is collaboration. So we need to widen our understanding of the workstation. And what we also find is that if you focus on the workstation in terms of uh, well-being and health, such as biophilia, acoustic treatments, sit-stand desks, ergonomic chairs, all that stuff, you have a huge potential. We had one customer where we saw a 108% increase in well-being, right? This is one of the areas where you can make a huge impact in terms of, of the well-being. And then the social component that I already talked about, community, is another really important Another driver is gen sets want to be enabled to make a difference. They are probably already in their lives outside of work making a difference, making a positive change in the world. So it would be very, feel very strange and alienating if you were then at work and you didn't have the same opportunity. 
And I think this is something that a lot of employers are currently not well prepared for. Yes, you have ERGs. Yes, you have World Cleanup Day or whatnot. But to which extent is it fully incorporated into your organization and into your workplace? Saving the planet is priority one for Gen Z. Their house is on fire, right? That's it. They are the people who are going to take over this planet. It's personal. It's personal about the environment, right? And then again, this is also one of the components that adds to the stress because then your future doesn't look super bright. And then that, you know, what what am I future going to look like? So he's another stress component. But what really is key of everything when we talk about saving the planet and Jim said is that they have grown up watching decision makers be slow to take action. And then they had had no choice but to become an activist and I think this is really the key. They didn't ask to become an activist generation. They had to, right? And so when they enter the workforce, the full force, when they are, you know, one third to in some regions, you know, like South America, we're looking at 50% of the population of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, right? You're going to have an activist generation on your hands. So you better make sure that, that ESG reporting is reliable, right? So what some of the things that we see is pro bono work, NGO work on company time. That's really uh, highly appreciated. Again, the reliable ESG reporting, right? Really important. And then when it comes to workplace, tangible solutions. Something I can see, hear, smell, feel, taste, touch, something like that, right? Super tangible because tangible is believable. So this is energy-wise, food. Waste, transport, the services, the vendors, everything. It needs to just scream, this is the good choice, right? If it doesn't, again, this is the trick with Jen says. It's not like, oh, yeah, I guess it doesn't. That's kind of millennial, right? But with Jen said, it's like, oh, it doesn't meet those demands. Then I consider it substandard. So what we consider standard today is for a lot of Gen sets, substandard. It's not just like you can't even talk about upgrading. You need to get to the level of where their expectations are. And also they have a very keen sense of social justice. A lot of Gen Sets actually believe that they see themselves as change makers. And sometimes they feel that they're the only ones. And this can generate a little bit of friction. So it's very important to provide everyone at the workplace, all generations, with opportunities for engaging in a continuous shared journey towards more social justice, whatever that is and wherever you are at at that journey in your organization, right? Two-thirds of millennials and three-thirds of Gen Zs expect their employer to invest in diversity, equity, inclusion. That doesn't mean allow for it. Or like, accept that you've got employee resource groups that want to do policies in their own time. Invest. That means that you actively take a part in it, right, uh, as a company. And so in terms of the workplace, what we see is that the ERGs, the employee resource groups, have a huge engagement impact on Gen Z employees. However, what we also see is Gen Zs have higher expectations to what that looks like. So what we actually see as a potential game changer 
is that, all right, so the ERGs can really help retain the job-hopping assets, right? Because you get engaged, you feel part of something bigger, you, um, you know, you get to know people, you build networks and make friends at work and whatnot. That's really good. But you don't want to do that if what you're doing is a webinar for four people, right? Or you have a get-together in the cafe and all you're being served or non-vegan cupcakes or something. You want something that is just super professional and nice. So in that regard, what we see is there's a benefit to investing in event management. These and ERGs need support, right? Catering, venue setup, whatnot, promotion, marketing. You can't expect people who are not in marketing to know how to do marketing, right? And so on and so forth. So it's really important that companies make an effort. So it's like, yes, it's volunteer work, but we are going to support you in the best way possible to make this a success for you and for the people participating. And, and Bianca, could you explain what ERG means? Yes. Employee resource groups. So these are groups that um, at on the diversity, equity, and inclusion journey that most companies are on. These are groups that are set by the company. We say in general, we have five to six uh, dimensions of diversity. We typically have gender balance. Then we have LGBTQIA+. Then we have race, culture, ethnicity. Then we have age, generations, right? And then sometimes we have social mobility and sometimes we don't. Oh, and sometimes we have social sustainability as another one or community outreach. But for sure, the five are represented in most companies at this point in time. And so what the company will say is that, well, if you want to put in your own, invest your own time as volunteer work, we are happy to listen and actually you know what if let's say um lgbtqia plus and gender balance get together and create a new parental leave policy we're happy to adopt it right so that's the work of the eot's it's really the drivers the true drivers of the uh, of the diversity and inclusion equity and inclusion uh, change we're seeing in the world thank you for elaborating perfect and the COVID-19 pandemic prompted a widespread adoption of remote work. With Gen Z's influence, we're observing a greater acceptance and implementation of flexible work models. What advice do you provide to companies when navigating this transition to more flexible work models? So we do see some companies right now mandating people back to work. In our experience, looking at the market, um, there is no right or wrong answer here. There is no, uh, it's not black and white. It's not like it's either one or the other. What we're really seeing is that if you mandate people back to work and your gen Z population is not ready for that, they're going to find another job, right? But if you allow for a hybrid model where potentially you encourage people to be in the office as much as possible, then that works. So it's not, you can't say, I mean, the thing is hybrid work is the future work. It's just a matter of each organization figuring out what does that balance look like for us? Is it one day a week in the office? Is it four days a week in the office? It's, you know, what does that look like? Here's another quote from, from one of my gen set. If I'm offered a job where uh, without a workplace or a hybrid work model, I'm not going to take it. Of course not. 
That's it. You know, again, a job hopping generation. So, you know, what is important is sometimes when we talk about back to work or like what it will used to be, Gen Zs don't know that. They entered the workplace in 2020, which means that was after the pandemic. That was after work somehow moved online, right? So all they know is an online or a hybrid work. So for them, having to be in the office every day would potentially feel very awkward, right? Not saying can't be done. I'm just saying that might not be the best starting point <laughs> for this generation, figuring out what is it like as any entry generation, figure out what's it like to be part of the global workforce. One of the challenges we have currently in the work of our workplace is the fact that work has moved online, but somehow workplace stayed in the office. Workplace hasn't really moved online too, right? And yes, we have a few great workplace apps out there, but all in all, when you look at the big picture, we're not really, workplace doesn't really have like FM or like onboarding or like whatnot. That doesn't really have an online presence in the same way as an in-house or a sort of in-person or in-the-office presence. That needs to change. Again, we're talking about digital natives here, right? A generation of digital natives. So easing accessible collaboration tools is a must. State-of-the-art hybrid meeting tech, a must. Apps for everything, literally everything, right? No more Excel spreadsheets, no more Microsoft Forms, no more of that. We need apps for everything. And preferably apps or skins that collect all the other back um, backlog functions so that all you see is one skin, right? And then everything on demand, on hand, anytime. This is a huge ask, I know, but that's what we're looking into, especially for those industries where you can say your junior people are expected to work long hours, expected to put in a lot of effort, you know, in order to, to progress in their careers, then everything on demand on hand anytime is critical. It's essential. And then, yeah, emails, they're going to be gone at some point. They're going to be for subpoenaing people or something. But yeah, chat is definitely in the new email. And finally, what are you most excited about and perhaps even looking forward to as you observe the transformative impact of Gen Z on the landscape of the workforce? Okay, so all in all, I am very excited about Gen Z. I sometimes say that Gen Z is my spirit animal. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because if we look at the world right now in terms of values in terms of what's going on in terms of the work ahead of us that we need to do we need to be able to feed everybody on this planet we need to be able to make sure that we can survive climate change and that we can mitigate and hopefully re even reverse climate change right we need to make sure that we are distributing wealth in a more equitable way right in a better way we need to make sure that we all can stay healthy, whether it's another pandemic, when another pandemic is going to hit us or whatnot. So we have a lot of work ahead of us as a race, right? As a human race, there's a lot of work to be done. Now, what's fascinating about Genesis, the reason why I call them my spirit animal is because when you 
when you've grown up the way they have, you have this mindset of abundance, which also reflects in the job hopping, right? It's like, if this job doesn't suit me, I'll find another one. There's always another job out there, right? But this mindset of abundance also means, again, you won't take no for an answer. There's always a better solution. There's always a better way out there, right? I just need to keep working and then it's magically going to appear somehow, which really translates into this deep, deep optimism. Yes, there's a lot of anxiety around, holy smokes, this is uphill. But there is this deep optimism about it can be done. And I believe, as a social scientist, that is critical to success, right? The fact that you believe that you can do what everybody says is impossible, that is what's going to enable you to do it. So we figure out how to reverse climate change. But then when it comes to the workplace, <laughs> what we then see, this is, uh, you know, this is what you could potentially call the pro tip is that this abundance mindset and this we can do it, we can, like this can-do uh, attitude and this like we'll figure it out together. What it also means is that, I guess if we want to use some kind of dated language, we can say that there is potentially not the same kind of trust and authority anymore. Hierarchy becomes less important. Knowledge is more important than status, right? There's something around that. So like, for instance, who you collaborate at work might be, rather than trying to seek out, you know, a superior person or someone that might be strategically good for you to collaborate, is you're collaborating with the nerd who knows it all, right? So you can get to the bottom of it. And then the flip side of that, well, not the flip side, what actually what is pretty is that when you go through life like that, feeling that it's all uphill and you can't just automatically trust what you see. You have to sort of get behind what's actually going on. What's the root cause of something? For instance, a no that can't be done or is this fact, fact checked or whatnot, right? Then what you get is you get an excellent BS detector. You get really good at separating what is corporate BS and what is actual talk. And this is something that I think employers need to be aware of because greenwashing and pinkwashing, rainbow washing, I mean, you, honey, you gotta really be careful, right? Because they are gonna call you out on it, like literally call you out on it. I'll give you an example. This is one of those moments where I was like, I love you so much, you gen saturation. So I was at a meeting we were discussing some changes to a business case presentation. And then there was this other person on the call who said, yeah, sure, we can fix that. Let's, you know, this was on a Friday. Yeah, sure, we'll fix that. We'll get that ready for you. Yeah, we'll get that. We'll fix that uh, right, you know, like tonight. We'll fix that and then we'll we'll have it ready for you. And then you can review it over the weekend. And then the junior member of, of that person's team, a gen set person, that on the call, not like offline afterwards, literally on the call said, um, Jason, can you explain to me, or can you just be precise about which exact parts of this task cannot be solved within business hours, Monday to Friday? I would never have done that. <laughs> no, I would never have, I would have worked through the weekend. I would never have done that. 
they call the BS because yes, if I have that presentation Monday morning or Monday afternoon, no one cares, right? That can totally wait until Monday. So I think there is something that there's something that's going to happen here in terms of like when we call the BS, things get more transparent, and maybe the decision making processes are going to get a little leaner and a little quicker, and hopefully, that's my hope. That's going to speed up progress for us. So yeah, that's why I love Genesis so much because I see great potential in that. Yeah, it, it looks like we have some room now for Q and A. Um, we did have a question earlier in the webinar: um, Is job hopping expected because the generation gets bored easily, or is it always looking for newer challenges? Right. Okay. There are a couple of different components. The dynamic is they work together and they sort of reinforce each other. First one, obviously, as it's always been throughout the history of uh, the workplace, is management, right? If you have a, a direct line manager where there is no chemistry or you disagree on things or whatnot, like I, I do remember one uh, another Genset uh, interview we had where one of the interviewees said, yeah, so, you know, for the past six months, I've been trying to um, negotiate salary bump and my manager just really isn't open to it. So last week, I just handed in my notice. So it's like, rather than continuing to negotiate with a manager that doesn't listen, you quit. You just quit, right? So that's there. Like it always has been, but I think that that threshold of your tolerance is becoming shorter and shorter, right? That elastic band is less elastic, right? Then there is the fact that already what we see already in the market is that 50% of all Gen Sets currently employed have already quit a job because their values weren't aligned to the values of management. So, so that's another really huge component when we talk about the job hopping, right? Is if they don't, again, with their excellent BS detector, right? If they don't feel like you're being honest and truthful and that you take action and that you are, you know, that you really want to make changes in terms of, for instance, decarbonization, they're going to quit. They're going to quit. Now, there's a third component here. And that is that a lot of Gen Z people, yes, of course, needs to be interesting, but it doesn't have to be their passion. I think for a lot of early millennials, late Gen X and early millennials, there was this notion that your job needed to be your passion, right? If I'm going to spend eight to 10 hours a day somewhere working for the man, then I need that to be something I'm passionate about. That seems to have just gone. That's not necessarily, yes, you would like it to be interesting, rewarding, you know, like all of that stuff, but a job is primarily something that pays your bills. And then sometimes if you're lucky, your passion and what pays your bills go together, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so what Jinsets often have is they have a side gig. They have something on the side. And sometimes that on the side thing is paid. And sometimes it's not paid, right? It can be art. It can be social, you know, social community projects or whatever it is, right? Some 
quirky little startup with something that may or may not turn into something that is actually going to be a business, right? Just all these types of innovative projects that you don't need to be able to monetize something from necessarily. And so let's say you've been working on this weird little startup for a couple of years and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, I can actually monetize my passion. You quit your job. That's it. Because your job is not your passion, right? So that was a very long answer. I know that. But it's just because we have these three components that work together to really, it's the perfect storm for not being able to retain your employees. <laughs> yeah. And we have another question from chat. Um, it goes, what does everything on demand all the time mean? Right. Okay. Let me give you an example. One of our uh, one of our customers, they um, they're a consultancy business. They're one of the biggest in the world. Uh, they expect their juniors to um, work long hours. And some of the complaints that we would see in terms of, for instance, the workplace app they have in this office, which is again a piece of software, but that software is critical for what are the workplace services I have available. And so one of the complaints we got was, why is it that I can't have a warm meal at any hour in the day? Like, why is that only in business hours that I can go to the cafe or the restaurant and have a warm meal? Otherwise, I have sandwiches and salads. That's everything on demand all the time anyway, right? Another one was in the wellness suites, right? There was this demand that why is it again that classes where we're like more people, for instance, yoga and whatnot, why can't I book it every hour? Why is it only two times a day? I want it. Like if I want to go at four instead of at three, or if I want to go at seven instead of at, at eight, then I need that. Of course, that's not always possible because if you're only, let's say, um, 5,000 people in a building, then we it wouldn't really be a good business model for a yoga vendor to to provide classes every hour, right? But but I think it's it's again this abundance mindset that I'm used to everything being available at all times outside of work. Any type of food I want, I can get it any time of day. Anything I want, any product I need, any tech gadget I want, I can get it any time of day, right? Anywhere. And I can have it shipped everywhere in the world. I can buy something for my friend in Korea and it's going to appear there magically in the morning, right? So somehow work becomes, or in that regard, work appears dated, which is the opposite of what we want, right? So outside of work, I'm more free and I have everything available. When I'm at work, I feel restricted. Thank you. Um, it looks like we have another question from the chat um, and, and some feedback. Uh, great presentation and lots of learning. What kind of research slash surveys have you done when putting this material together? What we like to do uh, when we work with this is we like to... Obviously, we read a lot of the of the big surveys that are out there, right? But then what's what's nice is to stress test that during the actual projects that we do. So one of the things that we really like to do is to do user segmentation. Um, not a lot of people do proper user segmentation when we talk about, for instance, workplace services, right? We have a lot of companies within retail, you know, like 
I'm trying to sell you this pen, and there's going to be extensive use of supplementation on this, right? When I when I start marketing this, but when we talk about what kind of dishes to serve in the restaurant or which kinds of, of scent do you want to be met with when you go to the restroom at work or whatnot? We don't really have a lot of user segmentation. So we love to do that. I think that's uh, that that really gives you a lot of good insights. And then obviously what we do, because we have this big database, then whenever we come across something, whether it's a post-occupancy evaluation or it's leadership interviews or whatnot, whatever it is, where there is some genset uh, related stuff, we put it in our database. So, so what you see here in this presentation is market insights, right? So the statistics you see here are the statistics of what we find in our database when looking at the broader spectrum of all of our customers who are global, right, ranging everywhere. So yes, you know, if you wanted to know something specifically, I would have to check the numbers to get for a specific region or whatnot. This is general, generalized in a global context and for the entire genset generation. And then it looks like we had some questions come through in response to the on-demand piece um, or the response there. Um, it goes, hi, Bianca, sorry, question. On the mill at any time piece, counter question is, would they have the same expectation of themselves? Who would provide them the food slash product any time of day when Gen Zs are not working any time of day? I love that question. That's an excellent question. Yes, that is definitely, uh, I see that. That is definitely, we do have a discrepancy there. <laughs> I think, again, thinking about the fact that a lot of Genset people have jobs where it's literally just to pay the bills, then in that context, right, then working nights or whatever it is, that is doable as well. I do also believe that most Gensets, whenever there are reports out about what Genset thinks about the future in terms of AI, a lot of Gensets are very open to the fact that a lot of these jobs, for instance, delivering food or even preparing your food will be done by robots or by AIs, right? So so I think there's, there's also that in the sense that, is it entitlement? I don't know. I feel like that the word entitlement is, is not the right word because it's a, it has a negative connotation. But I do think that there is this element from Jen Set around when you have your abundance mindset, then of course I'm going to get a better job than that, right? I might need to start there, but very quickly I'm going to get a better job than that, which is essentially going to leave some jobs less desired and that I would imagine would be an excellent business opportunity for a robotics company. <laughs> Agreed. All right. And then we have another question from chat. What can you say about the resilience of Gen Z's? Uh, millennials, as you stated, are adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. If we assume that we will be able to mitigate the stress levels of Gen Z, there is so much innovation and so much new thinking in that within those those heads right and i think the key here is that with intense realism comes intense pressure right when you're in a in a place where you like wow i get it i've gotten behind all the bs i'm now you know i'm 
neck deep in all the realness of whatever this whatever is going on. Let's say you're working in healthcare, or let's say you're working in um, military or whatnot. You know, something super critical, even farming for that matter. We need to feed all of us in a sustainable way. Then there is a lot of pressure to do well and do the right thing. Now that can cause stress, but that also fosters excellency. It really does, right? So I think I. I still have a lot of, of faith. You know, I do think the resilience, the resilience is going to come. They are an entry generation into the workforce, right? They need tools. They need help. They may need a little bit of nannying. Let's just call it what it is. But as soon as they, you know, five, 10 years into that journey, that's when I think that abundance mindset is going to help them really find their way. And then they're going to be, they're going to take us to the next levels. Like, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and Bianca, is there anything else you'd like to address? No, I think I said it all, all more or less. Um, one thing maybe where I can just nuance a little bit what I've said is, yes, there is, there is some work. There are some changes that need to happen in the workplace in order to accommodate this new generation. But don't be demotivated or don't be like, how am I going to get my boomers in the boardroom to agree to that? I'll give you a fun, fun story here. We had another customer uh, or another one of our customers. They, um, they were at the end of the lease agreement on their coffee machines and get this worldwide coffee machines, right? So their lease agreement for coffee machines for all of their locations worldwide. Again, Doing that as a worldwide agreement seems kind of insane, but that may be just be me. But anyways, so they were like, okay, so we need, you know, a new uh, agreement and we need new coffee machines and blah, 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 blah. And so HR was like, from a health and safety perspective, we would like to introduce coffee machines that have both dairy and non-dairy milk. And the boomers in the boardroom were like, no, we don't need that. No, we don't need that. That's silly. No, we need a proper coffee machine with milk. That's it. Like if they want vegan milk, it can go to the cafe. No, we don't need that. Okay, let's fast forward then. A year and a half in, nothing but complaints. I am telling you, nothing but complaints. The complaints were like raining down over the facility management uh, group, right? People were complaining, 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 because obviously they wanted non-dairy alternatives by dietary reasons or for uh, environmental reasons. Right. So what happens then after a big old war, boomers had to acknowledge that they had lost, they had made the wrong call, and they had to change all the coffee machines in all of the locations worldwide. What an enormous waste of money and time, you know. And and so what I just want to highlight here is that it may not resonate with you personally when you hear all this stuff, but that doesn't mean it isn't true and it doesn't mean it isn't necessary. And when it comes to strategic decisions, always make the long-term choice, always future-proof your choices. But then when it comes to smaller decisions that are not necessarily strategic, like small tactical or operational decisions, you know what? Cut some corners. That's okay. We will figure it out together along the way, right? But yeah, 
So I just wanted to nuance that with all the stuff that I've said. Awesome. So that is the end of the webinar. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Bianca, uh, for an amazing presentation. Thank you to our audience for a robust discussion. Um, and yes, and thank you so much to ISS for being a great strategic partner. Um, I hope everyone has a great day and we'll see us on another webinar. Thanks so much. See ya. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.